John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 369.DE0419, certificate number 26731, the Dogon. I'll name a famous alien and you tell me whether Hollywood got their depiction right or oh so wrong, so we're going to call it Alien versus Giorgio. You ready? Yep. E.T. Very good, yes. Very correct. <laughs> and what about aliens from the Alien franchise? Uh, Hollywood... Entertainment. The Coneheads. Those Coneheads actually exist as bona fide wow. archaeological artifacts. And what about Jabba the Hutt? Oh, Jabba, yeah. Well, he's, uh, I better not talk about him. <laughs> Is this another Dungeons and Dragons episode? Yes. The Dogon will reduce your armor class by six points every time it does one of its acid attacks. <laughs> I, um, I employ the crown of might. <laughs> the Dogon, the Dogon actually will involve monsters at some point. Oh, you believe in, uh, you believe you're a believer in, in, uh, in little green men in, in the UFOs. UFOs. Yeah, sure. They come, I mean, they come from dimension X or whatever. I like a lot of things that are, uh, that are supernatural or subnatural. I, Subnatural. I believe them. I believe in them. And, uh, also don't believe in them. I think I need to hear more about the difference between the supernatural phenomena and the Subnatural ones. <laughs> see, supernatural ones are beyond what we can see. Right. Subnatural ones are what? They're so lame that we can't see them? <laughs> That's exactly right. They're, they are, they're so believable that, uh, that it boggles the mind. So cryptozoology is just interested in the unlikely things. A dinosaur in Scotland. Right. A gorilla man in the Cascades. Right. Some kind of a whale in, the, in a, in a freshwater, ooh, freshwater lake. But what if there was something so usual yeah, that right. we never noticed it? A rock in a field of rocks. There's a, but, but there's a ladybug, but it's got an extra spot or something right a five-leaf clover you mean no but but that's exciting it's a A, two-leaf clover clover. (laughs) i found it (laughs) uh what do you think about i feel like on the omnibus before we must have talked about the 70s fad of uh alien archaeology oh for sure all this chariots of the gods eric von daniken kind of stuff about what if the ufos weren't just coming to rural farmhouses now what if they came to Sumeria and uh, and Mexico? Well, that that is a that, I think that that seventies fashion spawned a whole subgenre of of kook, didn't it? I mean, there are still I mean, ancient archaeology is what that or ancient ufologists. 
The guy with the crazy hair on the Discovery Channel that sure. thinks they built the pyramids. Right. Would Dan Aykroyd even be selling crystal skull booze in crystal skull bottles yeah. if not for these weird beliefs we have about... It just happens that when an unusual archaeological dis- discovery gets made, often it gets filtered down several levels through pop culture until somebody with weird hair decides, nope, that was the ancient aliens. Well, that the, the drawings... Uh, down in the Atacama Desert and the ones that you see in England and various places that are only really uh, not visible from outer space, but only really sort of apprehendable from right. from high up. The Nazca lines don't look like a big hummingbird right. unless you're a UFO coming in for orbit right. on runway five. I mean, that was all I needed to see to be convinced. Once I read, when I was a kid, I read the Tintin book about this. Do you remember there's a Tintin book about ancient aliens? I, I know everything about Tintin. We are surrounded by a Tintin library here. <laughs> I know there's no shortage of Tintin material in this house. My little girl just the other day said, I have every Tintin book, except there's one about the Congo. <laughs> and I, I like bowed my head in in uh, Her mom's in, in the background doing the, doing the <laughs> swiping across the neck sign to you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this actually, you know, African colonialism also comes into play in our story. It's your favorite things, D&D monsters yes. and racist Belgians. Amazing. <laughs> it's not, in this case, they're French and not Belgian. I don't know if that's better or worse. I can never tell them. There is a, among the many diverse uh, tribes of West Africa, there's a people called the Dogon that live in southern Mali and mm. the northern part of Burkina Faso, I guess what used to be Upper Volta. I think you will find uh, that if they live in Mali, uh, they live in southern Mali. The northern part is the Sahara. Ma- Mali and Niger are both these big countries that that when you uh, when you examine the population, it's all clustered down around the fertile the fertile river. Yeah, the Sahara Desert is like Coachella. There's a yeah. lot of Mali. <laughs> oh, oh, come on! Wow, you're not happy with that at oh, all. Oh no, that that gave me a pain it's uh but you're right they live south of the bend in the niger river there right um but uh in a there's about uh, there's somewhere on the order of half a million dogon people living in oh. it's it's a big people and in a cluster of villages a thousand years ago they refused to convert to islam and generally there are not half a million left of people who refused to convert <laughs> to islam but in this case they it, it led to the development of their culture they were able to keep their original beliefs and customs and they they uh, they moved to the the high country the uh, the sandstone cliffs of the Bandiagara escarpment. The Bandiagara escarpment, you say? Which sounds like a Tarzan plot device, but uh-huh. it, it apparently is actually some kind of central plateau in Mali. And so a lot of their villages are built defensively, you know, against whoever the new oppressors are, whether. Arabs or, or colonial French or, or whoever. Hmm. So they've got these amazing kind of Mesa Verde looking villages built into these sandstone cliffs. And, uh, you know, some of these village clusters have thousands and thousands of, of people. Now the, the uh, Mali uh, is also the site of the blue men of the Sahara, the, the Tuareg. That we, that we entered into the omnibus earlier. That's right. Ma- Mali and Niger seem to be fertile ground for people who have not, Adopt not not embraced the other the other governments of Mali and Niger. Maybe because, like you say, <laughs> there's so much of it. It's so big they can just wander into the desert, or in this case, into the cliffs of the escarpment, right? And and not be troubled by their 
sword or musket wielding newcomers. Oh, but that we could do that here. <laughs> also, I just wish all our newcomers here had, you know, all our potential invaders here just had swords and muskets. Yeah, me too. That would, that'd be a lot. Oh. That'd be a lot better. Living here on the West Coast within range of possibly North Korean missiles. Um, but yeah, uh, the as a result, the Dogon were able to preserve their culture for a thousand years. It appears to be a culture largely based on harmony. They have elaborate rituals where they give each other compliments and thank and respect each other. Oh, not musical harmony, but harmonious living. Yes. uh, I was like, whoa, are they just living like in a, where you meet somebody on a trail and you just hit a note and then they they take a harmony. That'd be so great. (laughs) I don't know if they sing the words or not, but, uh, but all their cultures were built, all their, a lot of their customs are built around, you know, good feeling and getting along and, uh, there's a, you know, a, their days, if you, you were to hang out in a Dogon village, which is probably a pretty big if. I love, no, I love that. It's just that phrase, like hang out in a Dogon village. You would just hear the same elaborate greeting uh, exchange repeated because when you meet someone, you, 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 there's a back and forth where you both say nice things about each other. Oh, it's like a tea ceremony, but sure. it happens like 30 times a day. Right. Oh. You're, you're just walking down the street. You're just trying to buy your flatbread or whatever. And it's like, oh no, I got to do this again. Um, I don't want to paint it out as some uh, painted as some total Mister Rogers culture. Sure. They also do um, female genital mutilation. Sure, and, sure, sure. You know the kind of stuff you'd expect. Less less polygamy than you'd expect, but you know if you're menstruating, you got to go into a special bad person hut. Right. And they believe the clitoris to be a male part that must be removed oh. unless you're, unless you're oh. a male. And conversely, you know to be fair, they believe the foreskin is female. And also must be removed, but that's right. not. not cool. You can tell that's a system invented by men. That's not, not quite a, the same. Not a fair tit for tat. If they if they took everything from the foreskin, right on off the <laughs> penis, then with, that would with, be with a rock and <laughs> a sharp rock in the same uh, way. I, but the, I don't think that you can survive uh, and keep your keep your culture uh, completely discreet from your surroundings just by hiding in an escarpment. I think you, what if it's a really good escarpment? I think you also need to be fairly warlike or at least willing to willing to to beat some heads. The kind of mental toughness you think it might take to I think you're uh, gonna need some mental toughness. I think you're gonna need to hurt each other. You sound and like other a people. football coach defending a really hard hit, except in this case the hard hit is being performed on hundreds of thousands of young women. So I don't know. But yeah, you're right. There's you know, they they're they're not necessarily a warlike people, but you're right, it's not all just sweetness right. and light. I mean, I think that when uh, when when they started doing cultural anthropology of the bonobos and realized that instead of fighting, they just had sex with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that at least for a while in my young years, that became a pop uh, like a like maybe a symbol of hope that that maybe we could like in your generation or just in your head. No, in my that generation, if we were just all having chimp sex. I rem- you know because I think that research coincided with a period in my life when I was in my early twenties, and so it sort of swept through alternative uh, underground culture. Like, whoa, dude, this has been right in front of us all along. All we need to do instead it, of fight, and it may have reinforced what many young men of your age were thinking, which is that science would eventually, eventually, eventually prove the beauty of of promiscuity of having sex all the time right and, and if uh, particularly if it was a uh, with a like, monkey uh, well uh, like a uh, an alternative to fighting sure but but i think since then we've always um uh, since then there's been a thread where any cultural anthropology is sort of looking for some secret uh 
some some secret to peace that involves maybe a stoning ceremony. Um, you know, that was what was so popular about that story. Um, the lottery, the, the lottery, right? Because the whole first three quarters of that book, you're like, wow, they've what got it all figured town. out. How did they do it? What's the secret? Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. They, they kill old lady, whatever yeah. every year. Uh, yeah. But the bonobos don't, nobody ever found the bonobos doing secret, uh, Secret yeah, but, I mean, the violence. Bo- but the bonobos are... Except consensual violence, maybe. Bonobos are monkeys, not people. So the people always have to throw that extra wrinkle in where they use a sharp rock on you. Well, it's funny that you mentioned cultural anthropologists for whom everything looks like a nail if you have one hammer. Mm-hmm. Because this is the point where Marcel Griol enters our story. Oh, almost the, the Frenchman or the Belgian? <laughs> he's a Frenchman. Okay. Almost everything we know about the, almost everything we knew about the Dogon for decades came from the work of Marcel Griol, who first traveled to Southern Mali in the early 1930s to visit them and essentially set up a, a, a base camp there and returned many times all the way through his death in the late 50s. And in fact, I think posthumous work uh, was being published from his visits to the Dogon uh, as late as the 1960s. So Mali would have been within the the, Ooh, the greater territory of French West Africa. Yes, it would not have been independent until ooh, I don't even know late 50s, early 60s. When is when is Malian independence? We don't celebrate that in in my house. Yeah, it would. Which have we should. Been... We live in Seattle. We should celebrate all the diverse African holidays. Yeah, but like the independent, it's not it's not a thing like uh, Cinco de Mayo where Malian independence became a drinking holiday. <laughs> so, um, why not? Let's all get really drunk on palm wine once a year in uh, June. Oh, it's the 60th anniversary this year. It was the late June 1960. Yeah, that's right. And then then uh, so a lot of those uh, a lot of those former territories formed a federation called the Mali Federation in 1960, uh, 60, It's always cool when you're the country that gets to keep the old name. Right, the Oregon Territory. <laughs> exactly. It's like, what? We're not part of the Oregon Territory here in, in great old Washington. We had to pick some like kind of Johnny-come-lately colonizer name because yeah. Oregon, the weird possibly Native American name of, of dubious origin, was taken. Uh, so, so uh, Marcel Griel spent decades with these people and published many times about what he took to be their complex and beautiful belief systems, um, the most elaborate of which came with 33 days that he spent in 1946 with a blind uh, tribal elder and hunter named Ogotemela. And uh, a lot of his work takes the form of a dialogue between Ogotemela and the Nazarene, which is what he calls himself. <laughs> what? You don't think there should be messianic overtones to uh He called himself the Nazarene. I was like, when you said the Nazarene, I was like, who's the Nazarene? Now we wow. got an exciting new figure on the scene. <laughs> this is cr- Oh, it's, no, him. it's him. Wow. That's what Ogo Tamela calls him in the dialogue. Maybe he leaves out the part where he's like, Hey, maybe just maybe just call me the Nazarene. I'm trying to get it going with some of the guys. Jacques won't do it, but you know, in my experiences in uh, traveling in North Africa, I've had more than one people. Oh, I'm sorry, not more than one people. More <laughs> the, than one the Tuareg, person. The Doga. <laughs> more than one person. Um, in, you know, in this in the context of like a late night conversation about uh, culture that you know that you often find yourself in, in when you're traveling in foreign countries. Um, I've had more than one person there call me Christian. Really? Like, well, listen, Christian. Here's how. You know, here's here's how we do it around here, and you know, and and when I would protest, 
Like, well, now wait a minute. You know, don't just call me Christian. They would did say, they, did you show them your new atheist writings? <laughs> they would say, yeah, well, I, no, I put my fedora on, I put, and uh, I was like, Erm. let me explain to you pastafarianism, <laughs> sir. Uh, when I would when I would say like, well, now it's not it's not as you can't reduce me and and my whole culture to just Christians, and they uh, they they laughed. I mean, they rejected that. They were like, <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, you, we are we are Muslimen and you are Christians, and so as the Christian here, you're gonna you're gonna you're going to shoulder the weight of your It's definitely culture. the kind of thing that seems, um, yeah, kind of, you know, not at all, uh, it seems benign coming from the colonized people. Whereas if you were like, hey, Muslim, uh, which way's the hostel? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it, it doesn't go so well the other direction. I mean, and it, it is true when you think about it, like I'm the only Christian that they know or knew or had, I mean, potentially had met. Maybe, maybe they thought your name was Christian. Maybe I, the first guy they met was like Christian Leitner. Were you wearing Christian Dior? I was clearly not Christian. I mean, my name was clearly not Christian because I was wearing a sweatshirt that said John. <laughs> Hi, I'm John. You're, my you, mom made it for me. You're one of the Mouseketeers. <laughs> That's fantastic. She makes me one every time I go traveling. Maybe they were, you know, when we traveled as kids, my mom would always, she would not put our names on our shirts, but she would make us uh, wear uh, some kind of early 80s polo shirts. Matching? Matching of an unusual color. Because she had she had three to four children, and she did not want them running off in the airport, and we didn't have the monkey leash backpacks yet. You don't remember how many children she had? Uh, it's some yeah, three to four. <laughs> My brother's kind of on the outs. No, it depends on where in our chronology this takes place. Oh, I see. I see. What you know when? Yeah, right. there could there could have been three of us. There could there have could been, have been four, four of us. But we were always had to wear like these bright purple. Um, Ralph Lauren polo shirts, which is hilarious when you're eight, but awful when you're 15. <laughs> well, think of the age range in some in some right. Mormon 80s family. There's a 13 year old, an 11 year old, an eight year old, and a, and a oh, three year old. No, uh, you better be able to break into harmony. That's right. And we we just <laughs> hello, sang hello, we just sang Osmond's songs in the airport, <laughs> and people threw money. What was I even talking about? Oh, right, Christian. You're, yeah. you, they were calling you Christian. So, do you, anyways, was, do you think it was a mutiny on the bounty bit? He was like, no, Mister Christian, fully not. <laughs> that would have been my first thought. Uh, so yeah, so they're calling him the Nazarene, and and in these long dialogues, uh, Ogotamela tells him secret knowledge only known to initiates. So these aren't Platonic the dialogues where the Nazarene is ends up being the all knowing hero. These well, are like. Um, it's, it's, he's learning about the culture. It's not some Carlos Castaneda kind of a thing where this mysterious figure, I mean, it's presented a little more academically, right? Um, but it takes the form of this. It was all this one thirty-three day conversation where this guy said, let me break it down. Not everybody knows about this. One thirty-three day conversation. Well, they took breaks for food. Well, and, no, but and I love that so much. I, it's just the idea of like, all right, let's sit down and get this. Well, he had published before about their creation myths and about their belief systems. And the, the story changed a little bit every time. And this time he gets the full story, which is very different, I think, than what he had published uh, back in the, back in the, whenever he first published, 30s maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a very elaborate story about a creator god named Ama who uses, you know, vibrations to create the spheres and the universe. Um, but at some point, two twins get created, the Namo. These are water spirits of some kind. And there's a naughty one. The naughty Namo is called Ogo, uh, but he's got a good twin. Oh, the naughty Namo. The naughty Namo is, uh, you know, we're actually deeply indebted to the naughty Namo because he's the one who created the earth. Without Ogo, uh, you know, his, his, um, 
he creates space and time through his, he's maybe some kind of Prometheus rebel figure. Mm-hmm. So we now have the earth and space and time, thanks to Ogo the Bad Namo. But he's got a good twin, who I believe is not named in Ogo Tamela's recounting. Well, that seems like an oversight. If, if, it's, <laughs> if it's a twin and the other one is capable of creating the whole world, what can the twin do? Well, maybe it's Ogo spelled backwards. Oh, no, wait, that would also be Ogo. Oh. Well, the twin actually uh, creates, the twin actually redeems the fallen earth that's, that's full of blight and suffering, thanks to, thanks to Ogo, by creating uh, another world, Sigu Tolo, oh. which, uh, in Ogotamela's recounting, the Dogon associate with Sirius, the star Sirius, the okay. brightest star in the night sky, then is now. Why uh, so... Serious, <laughs> and apparently, nice. And apparently, they uh, they have a very complicated system around the brightest star, which would not be unusual in Africa. The Egyptians knew that when Sirius appeared on the horizon, the Nile was about to flood. Right, like we still call it the you know the dog days of summer because that's when the dog star appeared low on the horizon. Um, but they called it Sigu Tolo because their festival of Sigu would happen every. I don't know, like 60 years or something, when Sirius happened to appear right between these two mountain peaks. Apparently, this is local to Ogotamela's village, I now realize, that I explain mm-hmm. it to you, mm-hmm. because those two mountain peaks would not line up with Sirius from, from every point on Earth. Right. It's Although, like in the new Star Wars movie where you have to stand at exactly the right place for the knife to match the whatever the MacGuffin widget oh, is. Oh, spoiler alert. Spoilers. Okay, here. You, obviously, you've seen the movie Goonies, right? No, I have not seen the movie Goonies. <laughs> We've well, go, we go over this every time you mention the movie Somehow, Goonies. you were the only person of your generation who did not see the movie. Well, trust me that a pirate doubloon lines up with Haystack Rock of oh, Cannon Beach. Oh, come on. Spoilers. Jeez. Uh, I just, but, but, I just ruined... What, what do you think is the statute of limitations for Goonies spoilers? Because that movie came out in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's 25 years old. For me, I feel like I've, 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 I've burbled along because the spoiler era has only been the last, what, eight years? There just, weren't really spoilers before that. Spoilers didn't exist. You were you'd walk into a theater and the guy coming out would be like, "Darth Vader's his father." What the? Yeah, that's the that's the only chance. And so I I, I somehow avoided the noid of spoilers. Well, also in everybody the 80s. saw everything at once because right. TV shows all aired at once. You wouldn't have to not tell people who shot Jr. because right. they were going to watch it three weeks later. Everybody was going to be there. But now I. I thought that I had passed the Goonies spoiler bubble and I was safe. You were safe and clear. No, I'm going to tell you everything that happens uh, in Goonies. But now Forget how, the Dogon. If, how far away would the mountains have to be? I mean, there's a there's a there's a that's true. There's a setup right where the where Sirius and the mountains need to be a certain distance, and then you get a larger group of people that could be celebrating this. That's true. This situation, and maybe it's from the place where the festival is. Maybe everybody gathers to the site where the. Stuff lines right, up. Cause right, because Stonehenge isn't know? celebrating something that's everywhere. It's celebrating the 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 way the stars and the moon line up at Stonehenge. That's true. Although things like the equinox, I mean, if you're just talking about direction, I guess it's true. I would have to line up with the actual megaliths or whatever. But you um, think about uh, <clears throat> you think about this part of Africa at this time. There's not a lot of light pollution. <laughs> That's There's true. not a lot blocking the sky. No, uh, it's not like no urban density, right? There, it's a, it's kind of generally like a. If you can move from where the acacia tree or the straw roof or the giraffe is, you, you can, can get a pretty clear view. I can't see. I can't see the moon, honey. Just you're behind the giraffe. You're behind a giraffe again. <laughs> but uh, but you, but the the stars would play an, uh, 
a much larger role in in defining their their thoughts than they do for us anymore. And any kind of navigation you would need for a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. You right. know, it wouldn't be merely spiritual. It would be functional, too. If you want to make your way back to the village, you got to know where the stars are at which time of night. Um, so Sirius is very important, or Sigu Tolo, as they call it. Um, and in fact, the creation myth goes on. Uh, uh, some kind of... Uh, the good twin sends down an ark from heaven with the eight ancestors in it. So an ark being a ship or an ark being a gold no, no, box? So, sorry, the- ark, oh, no, no, no. Ark with a K like a, like a ship, yes. Yeah, okay. And it's, got, it's an ark because it has all the seeds and animals, and this is where all the, uh, this is where the giraffes and acacia trees come from. I you know, earth, earth, the once blighted earth now becomes a good place because the good twin has sent down the ancestral spirits from the planet, from the star Sirius. Earth one becomes earth two. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe the other way around. Uh-huh. I guess, uh, I think... I'm trying to remember which one is the bad one, where the crime syndicate is the Justice League. Earth 3? Earth S? I don't know. So so this is basically a Gaia bomb that's coming down with the ashes of Spock to terraform. Right. It's the Genesis torpedo. Right. Yes, to, exactly. To, to, ter- to terraform like bad, bad f- uh, former Earth and but, make it into good... Lush Let the record indicate that you brought the first Star Trek metaphor no, into the no, conversation. No, that was an accident. I was fine using Star Wars like a normal person. <laughs> I I slipped on that Star Star Trek reference. The uh, and and Griol is fascinated by all of this because he loves how this. Uh, he, in, according to his work, every bit of their culture reflects the centrality of this myth, which he estimates only five to fifteen percent of the uh, of the elders uh, of the population actually understand in totality this hmm. kind of oh. gnostic wisdom um but yet he sees echoes of this in every single thing they do all their ceremonies all their practices all their dress all their art it all comes from this central myth well and it sounds like there's a priestly class yes uh and i guess they would be the ones in his view who who guard this knowledge um but you see it in their architecture and everything and this becomes fascinating to him and when it's the thesis of his book that uh that this amazing culture preserved from Islam and preserved from the West um, has managed to reflect their beautiful um, kind of bizarre and Baroque creation myth in every aspect of their lives. Because if you're an ethnographer, this is the kind of elegance you want to see. You want to impose this, this beautiful pattern. Uh, and, uh, and this really catches on in French intellectual circles his book is translated into many languages, from Russian to Japanese. There becomes a brief phase of Dogon mania in Western Europe, really? where artists are producing masks that look like Dogon masks. Everybody loves the architecture. Um, film is made. And, uh, and to be clear, a lot of this comes from one of Griel's most surprising results, which are that the Dogon appear to have astronomical and scientific knowledge they should not have, given our assumptions about these backwards African people. You know, he, he wants to be one of these guys who, who points out that, no, their culture is as complicated and as valid and as advanced as, as, as anything, you know, we would associate with, you know, with the West or with Asia. You know, these are not primitive tribes, but in fact, somehow they know about the moons of Jupiter, for example, oh. despite not having telescopes. They know about the rings of Saturn, um, the most surprising twist is that they have they, great eyesight. They have, maybe is. yes, they're, <laughs> if they're not standing behind a giraffe, they have amazing uh, astronomical knowledge. And most surprisingly, he says that they their belief is that Sigutolo, Sirius, where the where the ancestors came from, uh, actually is a triple system. 
that there's a second world there called Potolo and a third one, a dark one called Emeya Tolo. Now, uh, this actually accords with scientific knowledge that Sirius is a, there is Sirius B. There is a double star. We now know from observing the brightness and the perturbations in its orbit or whatever that Sirius is a double star. Sirius B is a white dwarf. Um, it's not big and it's not bright and it's towards the end of its life, but there is a double star there. How would they have known if not for the NAMO? Uh, maybe they listened to the Grateful Dead. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like This American Life. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe they the, watched Neil deGrasse Tyson memes. The, the Grateful Dead knew all about the Dark Star. Exactly, exactly. And M.A. Tolo, in fact, you know, the idea that there could be a third star is uh, very much an open uh, scientific question. Could really? There, could there be an unknown brown dwarf there? So, uh, as you can imagine, this excites the... What do you call these uh, crypto archaeologists, ancient astronauts guys yeah, right. of the 70s? Um, and it, this become, by the way, this becomes received wisdom. The, the Encyclopedia Britannica entry for the Dogon still notes that central to their lore is how 3,000 years ago aliens came down from Sirius B and, uh, and taught them the ways of the universe. Are you saying that this is still in the 1975 copy of the Encyclopedia Britannica that you have in your living room? <laughs> this is on the online version of the Britannica really? that I looked up uh, as I was parking outside your house. Well, it should be noted that the Dogon are, are, uh, are part of the like African mask culture. Beautiful masks. Incredible masks that have, uh, that have very unusual sort of... Uh, some of the masks almost look like scuba gear or the, like if you are or, looking right or if you are looking for a connection between uh if you're looking for a visual sort of echo of the idea that they have had UFO contact their masks don't disabuse you i mean if you've ever seen you know kind of our long spindly idea of alien grays and then you compare them to the long faces and the big eyes of african masks you might think to yourself, whoa, if this wasn't made out of a gourd, if this thing was talking to me and doing the Close Encounters notes with his hands, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. this is straight up an alien. Uh, and so there's a tourism boom to the Dogon, especially when um, all these 70s pseudoscientists start extrapolating from Griot's results. And uh, by the way, the most popular is a guy named Robert Temple, who's still alive, by the way. I found his website. In 1976, he publishes The Serious Mystery, new, serious with an I, new scientific evidence of alien contact 3,000 years ago. And it's all based on uh, Griol's work with the Dogon. Can you imagine being, uh, like, living in a Dogon village, you're just doing your Dogon business, <laughs> and then these people start to show up, like, in, in their safari clothes, like, Pith helmets and whatnot, like, we're here. More Dogon tourists show at, the, us at the, the Dogon village. Show us your secret UFO box. I know you have one. This is absolutely happening. Jeeps full of, you know, Jeeps and Range Rovers full of Europeans and Americans, are, are counter, maybe counterculture types, are showing up and they're fascinated. And they, yeah, they want to get to the bottom they of have this. Their, uh, they have their Ghostbusters instruments <laughs> that are totally fake. They're, they're little pew, wee now, the Omnibus is a academic project that we right. hope will survive uh, in some kind of status as a time capsule for the future. Yeah, it's like a, a little old, uh, an old mid-century town idea of putting some stuff into the corner of a bank. And as a result, it is freely available to all. 
That's right. We do we do two omnibi a week. So most months have between eight and ten new entries in the show. Provided for you as a public service by Ken and John Enterprise. Because we believe uh, it's important. A historical purpose is being served. Correct. Now, in order to make the show economically viable, we do allow public support via our Patreon at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. If you give at the $5 level, you get a new bonus episode. So instead of nine or 10 a month, you're getting 10 or 11 a month. And it's a cool episode. I enjoy making them. And the thing about a $5 donation is you're because you're getting, I mean, what, what is that, 10 or 11 hours of entertainment? For $5. What you really are, you're chipping in 50 cents for each omnibus you listen to, which is honestly, you know, I feel a little bad. Like I have a, a thrifty Mormon voice in my head that says, do not ask other people for money. True. I, I, a lot of us do. But it's not so bad to say, hey, if you want, the show is free, but if you want to pay 50 cents per show, honestly, for an hour of entertainment, that's a pretty good deal. And You could pay a dollar a show and that's at the $10 level and you get an additional bonus at the $10 level, right? Like if you go to a movie, you're right. paying $14, $14 for, for, I mean, two hours of entertainment. Let's, let's okay. be honest. All right. But that's $7 an hour. still $7 an hour. hour. We're offering a much better rate. Um, we love all our listeners, um, but we especially, we offer a special thanks to those who support the show at patreon.com slash omnibus project. Right. Think of, think of it that way. If you gave $14 a month, it would just be like going to see one movie a month. What's better? Some crappy movie or like 10 hours of me and John talking about our junior high memories. It's, It's no contest. No contest. Robert Temple, by the way, is an interesting guy. I spent way too much time, I should uh, more than I should, on his website. I believe he's still alive, and it seems to be teaching in Beijing. He recently is is now Whoa. some kind of actual professor of archaeology at uh, you know with with uh, teaching tenures in four different countries, including the University of Louisville. I know that's not a country, <laughs> uh, and but his website is full of fascinating cases of uh, uh, stories of him meeting um, famous folks from the 20th century. If you want to know about how he met. Salvador Dali or Howdy Doody, <laughs> Pearl Buck. Joe you ever seen Dali and Howdy Doody in the same place? They weren't together, I don't think. Uh, Joan Rivers uh, and an amazing story about how he was always hanging out with Tallulah Bankhead when he was young. And she sure would want walk around naked all the time. Huh. But don't worry, she wasn't molesting him like all those other young boys said. She was only into lesbians and 10% of the time, large black men. Hmm. Good. This sounds like a great website. I was. I, I suddenly became more interested in Tallulah Bankhead's late in life relationship with Estelle Win- Winwood than I was in Dogon culture and ancient astronauts. But anyway, so Robert Temple is one of these guys like Von Donneken who possibly influenced by Lovecraft mm-hmm. by this idea that that the universe was full of dark eldritch forces, you mm-hmm. know, who who had, was you know who were leaving uh, evidence in our ruins. Um, you know, was looking for evidence of this stuff in, like you say, the Nazca lines and the right. whatever the chalk drawings on the British Downs are. So uh, this goes from Encyclopedia Britannica entry to worldwide bestseller. Um, the Dogon have received alien visitors from some planet orbiting Sirius. Now the <clears throat> the thing that always irked me, or not irked me, but but um, yeah, let's say irked me. <laughs> No, I'm not, ir- not irked. I like how you didn't irked. want to use such a strong word <laughs> as irked. 
Look, I don't want to go on record as having been irked. You know what really rings my beach towel, Ken? <laughs> but um, but it always seems like some of the like like for UFOs to have come to the world and to have imparted such esoteric knowledge to the Dogon as that there are two other stars orbiting around Sirius, but not to have given them anything else, really. No, they like didn't give them the can opener or... And just the, a thousand, you know, a couple thousand miles away, they're giving the Egyptians anti-gravity power to levitate the pyramid blocks. Yeah, like it just seems like such a strange little gift to give it, sitting around the campfire. Like, you guys, guess what? Sirius has two other stars around it. Okay, peace out. And you know, and they're like, "Well, wait, like, what, couldn't you give us like one more kind of seed that grows in the desert?" Yeah. Like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> like, what about like what about one other game that we could play? It's kind of boring out here. Like, we give keep us- chewing these branches, and they have big thorns. Could you like could you tell us how to get rid of the thorns? Yeah, some drugs nope, maybe. Or- Jupiter has three to four large moons. Like baseball, just like one other cool thing. Uh, maybe, you know, just to, you know, play devil's advocate for Marcel Griot here. Maybe okay. he would say that, you know, all that was lost. All the, uh, right. all, you know, all the firsthand stuff that they just happened to get in conversation with the UFOs. Well, see, now this is the thing that, uh, that, that this is where the irkage happens because. Because I'm, I'm blaming the Dogons. That's right. It is in, it, it's in, it intrinsically suggests that the Dogons are not smart enough to have actually gathered any technology that was useful. Maybe they're just not good listeners. See. I believe that the Dogon probably are great listeners, because what else is there to do when the sun goes down? In uh, this uh, this conventional wisdom that's now appearing in best-selling books all over the world is hardly slowed down at all when Griol is posthumously taken down uh, in the 1980s by another ethnographer, this one Dutch. So we, have, we now have a sober Dutchman on the case. That's not, good. Not a flighty Frenchman. Good news. Walter... He Va- strolls you know, softly into the scene. <laughs> Walter Van Beek, uh, starting in 1979, made nine separate visits to the Dogon people, trying to do a follow-up. Until on- they couldn't wait to see him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Here comes Von the Beek. The Dutch guy. <laughs> Let's tell him it was all bull. <laughs> And uh, he publishes in the... Interesting, when I saw Walter Van Beek's name, I was like, why do I know this guy? Uh, it turns out, unlike most, most Dutch ethnographers at the top, religious ethnographers at the top of their field, he is Mormon. Really? Weirdly. And, but from the Netherlands. From the Netherlands. Uh, some kind of a convert, I guess. Oh, interesting. T- two kids from Idaho knocked on his door one day. <laughs> and he was a religious ethnographer. So he's like, whoa. Wow. You guys come in. I'm going to get my tape recorder. Uh, anyway, I don't know if that makes maybe this makes him less reliable to you, but as a sober Dutchman who is also a a uh, a, a chaste and sober-minded Mormon, There's, that's three levels of sobriety. <laughs> this guy, this guy's going to give us the real story. So, had you heard of him because he is present in the in the pantheon of of great Mormons? I think he's written. I, I don't know. I could look right now, but I think he's done religious scholarship because he's both both an expert on comparative religion and uh, you know a, a, a practicing. Latter-day Saint. Right. So you may have read him. Yes. I think I may have read whatever his internet work is that's, you know, Mormon-centric and not. But this is what he, I think this is what he's most known for in the secular world is hmm. his work with the Dogon people. Uh, well, now I really want to know what he's known for in the Mormon world. Why do we get excluded? <laughs> Sorry, that's only for 5 to 15% of the initiates <laughs> who get to know Walter Van Beek's secret good work. Uh, no, in his groundbreaking work on the Dogons, 
uh, he finds that, you know, basically Grill was completely out to lunch. That his two main findings, first of all, are that the Dogons do not even have a creation myth. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's... That, you know, the, what? the broad strokes are there. You know, they do believe in water spirits called Namo that are kind of catfish looking, you know, animist spirits of the pond or whatever. But there's no Ogo. Ogo is just their word for elder. There's no um, divining fox. A lot of um, a lot of Marcel Grill's work revolves around a pale fox that, that knows all the secrets of the universe mm. and gets created at some point. A hold of pale fox right it's it's very very much some carlos castaneda thing that sounds like it's right of that time so was this just the one the one guy just gaslighting him with some totally made up stuff or was marceau actually the source of the lie do you believe that marcel marceau the the famous mime was actually in on the conspiracy (laughs) like always you know he's not going to talk that's the guy you should tell your secret religious knowledge you know if you look at marcel marceau and compare him to some of these african masks you'll see you'll see a through he's not trapped in a box he's in a force field yeah uh he's in an airlock he's trapped in the box of our prior (laughs) knowledge of the world uh yeah so van beek has his own theories about what he does not believe griol is a charlatan griol sorry i don't Um, know why i was calling him his first name is marcel so you you were not wrong uh i was was still wrong (laughs) (laughs) you were less wrong uh there's no he can't find any mention of sirius b there's no secret initiatory knowledge about any of this stuff that only the elders have. Do but they still do female circumcision. That <laughs> Unfortunately, part, yes. that part is not. Well, if you, if one of this all the cool stuff is gone, if some part of this story is a lie. Why can it be that? It's a bummer, right? Like it turns out, Ogo is just an elder. Instead of a pale fox, they believe that you know the foxes have no more special knowledge than any of the bush animals. They hold that you know some kind of ancestral spirit knowledge is in all living things. But nothing specific about that. That's pretty reductive. Um, <laughs> I, think the, I think the foxes know different things than the giraffes. You're so mad at the animists. Uh, yeah, and and there's no the, there's no Namo twins, one of which is a destroyer and one of which is a redeemer. So where did all this come from? In fact, religion does not appear to be especially central to their lives. There isn't even a priestly class. There there are you know he's you know the Griol's take is that. Uh, Everything about their society, you know, they hold twins to be sacred. This kind of ties in oh, with, yeah, your, talked with your Biafran twins or whatever it is. Uh, and blacksmiths are sacred because that has, rel- you know, origins in how the world gets made. And Still true to this day. The gri- yeah, right? <laughs> They're so sacred we don't even have them anymore. <laughs> uh, griots, the, the, the um, kind of the, the storyteller bard types are held in high esteem because of reflections in the story. Uh, Venby can find no evidence of any of this. Now, how does Van Beek know that he's not being gaslit? I'm sure this is what the, you know, there are people, all the, you know, all the ancient alien crystal skull vodka people, including Griel's uh, descendants, his, his daughter uh, pushed back at Van Beek saying, Oh no, you didn't get the good stuff. Obviously they, they trusted daddy more and pulled right. the wool over you pulled the wool over your eyes so the, but they could they could totally be a trickster culture where every single time a western person shows up they're they just like, tell a different story come here i'll tell you it's the like an story. improv exercise okay uh christian you tell me a funny place where two people might meet uh so the, yeah that is their take and actually that's not too different than what van beek thinks happens their uh their love of harmony is so important that they are people pleasers if somebody shows up with preconceptions about what a West African tribe would believe, uh, you know, Van Beek points out that a lot of this stuff about um, a mystical energy binding everything together, the force basically, it comes from mana, an idea that was very much in vogue in French ethnography at the time. 
and Griel really wanted to see this there. And so he did. Um, He set up, apparently in Van Beek's account, he set up his research station very much like a military base camp. Uh, He was not concerned about what, since you brought up Star Trek, he was not concerned with the prime directive. Uh He was willing to just send all his guys out. out there with a mission and tell him, here's what you need to get for me. And so these poor Dogon are dealing with, uh, Frenchmen showing up being like, Hey, what, you know, in, in Van Beek's account, they are just, they, there's still, you know, decades later, there's still memory of all this. Everybody remembers the blind guy he talked to. Everybody remembers all the crazy questions. And to Van Beek, the vibe is more like, they thought we were going to have a name for everything. They wanted to know what every single cricket was called. And so we told them like, they'd be like, well, what's that dung beetle called? Well, that's a dung beetle. Yeah. But what's that one called? And they'd look at each other and be like, that's the hyena dung beetle. Fred. What's that one called? Oh, that's the donkey dung beetle. Like nobody wanted to tell them that, you know, they love harmony so much. Nobody wanted to say like, buddy, that's the same dung beetle. So, I, I, so they, they just made stuff up. What's wonderful is that so much cultural anthropology is just this. It's why it's a discredited science, right? You or, can't just talk to one blind guy for 30 days and then write the Encyclopedia Britannica entry. Like I'm sure he's a delightful man. Oh, he's amazing. He's uh, amazing. I love this. And, the, you know, yeah, sure. The European guys are like, so – did someone tell you about the third star of Sirius? And they're like, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. The the special friend. They're, they're just lucky that no one said, is there a fourth star of Sirius? Because they would have been like, oh, <laughs> sure. That's where the two-headed giraffes are. I, I love it. And the guy, the French people are all looking at their notes, so they can't see the, uh, they can't see the Dogon shooting each other looks like, right. I don't know. Right. I, the other, th- the other thing about the Dogon is apparently they're very, uh, they're innovative. They're, um, I don't know if I want to say imitative. They're not necessarily one of these, star- again, Star Trek cultures that gets one book about gangland Chicago and decides to remake the whole planet. But they are very uh, prone to what Van Beek calls historical punctuation. You know, if, uh, you know, as soon as the tourists started coming in the 60s and 70s and they saw new agricultural methods, when Van Beek came back, he saw them using all the agricultural methods that they had seen from the visitors. Wait a minute. What tourists to West Africa are bringing agriculture? Uh, must, there must have been humanitarian, I mean, there must have been humanitarian stuff with the, uh, with the eyeball of the world. It wasn't I just guess. like a tourist family that just immediately started plowing hey, around there. We could put sorghum here. Uh, and for example, Van Beek's Van Beek points out that they have a story exactly like, um, the ta- the story in Genesis nine about Noah getting drunk and his daughters seeing him naked. And, and when they're asked, you know, is, this just must have come from missionaries. They're like, oh, no, no, no. We had it way before them. And but, but again, if, if their cosmology is going to, like, like uh, adopt some stories from Christianity, why the one about Noah getting <laughs> naked with his daughters? That's, like, not really— Isn't that all you remember that's from not the book of the, Genesis? That's not at the front of the canon. I bet there's a bunch of stuff you've forgotten from the Bible, but the guy who gets <laughs> naked— uh, and his daughters all see. I bet that's what you would remember. I have the Bible greatest hits. You have sure. the bonobo translation huh. of the Bible. The bonobo. Uh, and so it's a combination of them being people pleasers, them being quick to adopt innovation, and then just the confrontational style of Griot's researchers like, hey, no, you got to tell me more. Like, you haven't told me the real deal. And that extends to the astronomical knowledge. So... One of the most common critiques of Griot's work, which astronomers like Carl Sagan, in fact, made, was that their astronomical knowledge reflected exact, pretty much the state of uh, European scientific astronomy at the time 
Griol visited. A second Sirius star was already known and had been since the 1890s, and so he finds that. There had been, there had been a theory that maybe there was a third, much less bright brown dwarf star orbiting Sirius as well. And wow, shocker, he finds evidence of that as well. Now, since then, unfortunately, um, that theory about a third star has been pretty well debunked. The, uh, oh, well, that discredits the Dogon. The Dogon thought they were so smart, standing behind giraffes and looking at the sky. Uh, no, they. Uh, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, the, uh, the theory now is that although a, a, a dwarf, brown dwarf would have been one explanation for this, now they think it's some background object uh, you know, visible behind Sirius that is giving us these weird, uh, whatever the variations in brightness or whatever. So are. in this case, Sirius is the giraffe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they were just looking behind Sirius the whole time. So, you know, it may be the unfortunate case that the Dogon did not have secret wisdom imparted. They, they're lovely, but they, it just means, like many of us, they did not have secret wisdom imparted by ancient aliens in 1000 BC. And that's okay. Well, speak for yourself. And that concludes The Dogon, entry 369.DE0419, certificate number 26731 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that ancient aliens have appeared before you with a complex sort of piecemeal patchwork yeah, like a trivial <laughs> pursuit card one trivial pursuit card you guys get to know six things where it's like all right here's what we're going to give you guys i guess that actually could be what proves us wrong here if the ancient i mean for one thing is if sirius c is discovered if ma yatolu right. exists then right. boy are our faces going to be red but also what if the aliens come back well here's my ancient alien theory what if they gave each one of these contacted groups one piece of the puzzle <laughs> and it's only, it's only when there is a United Nations of peoples who have had ancient contact with aliens, when they all gather together and each person puts their little stone key into the, into the key box. Isn't this basically the plot of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? I, I, you know, I don't remember that movie. It was so awful that I, that I, I blocked it out. But yeah, what if what if it all what if there's something where you know where we, we just need Nicolas Cage to like find the remaining find the box where all the stone keys fit? Well, I hope you have done that, Futurelings. I hope you have done this. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Search all over the world with the the Inca skull and the Sumerian tablet and the Babylonian ingot, and I hope you put them all together. And then it unlocks the door to what? It, it, Zool. It opens the Dogon door, exactly. Maybe it's a time portal. Maybe they were from the future. Well. Maybe they were future Frenchmen. Futurelings, I, there will not be any Frenchmen in the future. Why not? They live forever. They drink a glass of red wine every day. No, little by little, they're going to get transformed. They're going to, France is going to get terraformed and <laughs> turned into another Germany. By Spock's, uh, Spock's casket? Sorry about the noise. I'm opening the mail. I don't know if this is showing up on mic, but I'm opening a very noisy padded envelope. Yeah, I thought <clears throat> I thought we waited to open the mail f- for our uh, Patreon-funded mail opening episode. Well, we can describe what we get. The, the photos only show up on Patreon, but I feel like people people are sending us cool things, but but 
there should be more envelopes of cash. This, <laughs> I like how this is your one complaint about the mail. Where are the envelopes of cash? This is the person that sent us the trivia question about Lena Vermeuler. And now we now they've to... sent us a much larger package. It's a, this is a three-step treasure hunt. Is this going to take us to the hidden knowledge? Well, yeah, where's the stone key in this? Whoa, that envelope is full of envelopes. Dawn thanks us for putting color back into her life. Uh-huh. And now she's sent- she sending us new Pacific Northwest history about the streets of Bothell, Washington. Whoa. Have you ever been to Lazy Husband Road? That's one of history's mysteries. I have never been to Lazy Husband Road, apparently. No, but when we're done here, we can get into the uh, the omni- the literal omnibus and drive <laughs> over to, uh, to Lazy check it Husband out. Road. Oh, we each got an envelope with our name written on it. You should do the post office box and stuff. Wait a minute. This says John Peren Jeopardy and Peren. Well, I think we're, I think we're going to have to play a little Jeopardy here. Isn't this? She always does the quizzes. Remember? Oh, I see. She's got a little game going. And then there's a. She's like she's like um you know the the dead guy in Clue or Sleuth or whatever. I assume she's not dead. There's a lot happening here. This is sealed with a little blue ribbon. I think. Look. You're- Oh, you're it's just, an envelope full of cash. I've never seen you happier. Oh my God. There is, there are five $1 bills in here. Although she did not face her bills. <laughs> I mean, they're all facing <laughs> the same way, but they're not. Oh, well, maybe boy, you just open the envelope just, upside down. No there's, no, there's no true North in an envelope. No, but I'm saying they weren't faced with uh, relative to other. one another. Oh, oh okay. boy. I can't, I just, that's really hard for me to bear. So when people send you money, your OCD kicks in before your your greed and narcissism. Well, no, I saw I saw the greed. <laughs> I was excited about the money, but then when the bills were unfaced, it's like hard to do. Um. Oh. Okay. So I think you have the answer, and I have the question. Yeah. So should we play this? Um. Should we play this game right now on air? Sure. If Futurelings, if you want to sell us your your diabolical uh, your diabolical games from beyond the grave, send them to PO Box five five seven four four. Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I have a picture of a, uh, of a, I presume a local fantasy author that says this modern knight was a prolific author with over a hundred publications, including collaborations with Neil Gaiman and Stephen Baxter. And I believe it's Terry Pratchett. He's got a hat and I think Terry Pratchett always wore a hat. So I'm going to say the answer is who is Terry Pratchett? Terry Pratchett is the correct answer. Ding, 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 Does that mean you have to hand over your, you only got your five unfaced dollars for for 30 seconds? If Ken answers correctly, please distribute the five dollars. If not, the five dollars is mine. So the five dollars, I'm distributing it apparently to you and now it's faced. This is the only kind of distribution I enjoy. So I took the bad luck away. It's when. Oh, well that's super frustrating for me. I don't know if anyone else wants to listen to us do this game show, but I, I like it every time I win $5. Terry Pratchett. Well, you know, one time I think I got the money. You did, because I think I got it wrong, or did you get it right? One I'm not of those. sure, I'm not sure. But she also sent us a copy of a of a Terry Pratchett book. That's very nice. Oh, that's nice. She suggests that <clears throat> your daughter may be too old, but my daughter might be a little young. My daughter is listening to It on audiobook, which... Terrify. It's not terrifying her, but it terrifies me. It scares me just to just to hear the name read aloud. She, well, she's definitely going to start swearing more. You know, there could stand to be a little more swearing around your house. Let me <laughs> let, let me just throw that out there. We're all wearing our identically colored polo shirts. <laughs> I'm just saying. We're doing a wholesome arts and crafts around the dining room table. You know, it's pretty screwed down over there. We don't say screwed. Uh. We say tamped. <laughs> 
Anyway, Futurelings, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are all uh, basically flawless new civilizations where uh, ancient aliens in the form of people Ken's and my age have appeared and imparted uh, a whole bunch of confusing knowledge. Or even older if it's Facebook. That's right. Facebook, people that are our parents' age, the, the truly ancient aliens, have brought their, their unwelcome wisdom, and now it's being sort of chopped up and made even more confusing by, um, by a game of telephone. So that uh, basically it has just precipitated a war with Iran. It's basically a Facebook war. No, we're not at war with Iran. Well, this won't air for a couple months. I would, I would not, I would not go on the record with that one. Uh, but if you want to know what Ken and I are thinking, <clears throat> you can go to at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick at any of those spots. You can go to Omnibus Futurelings on Facebook. Uh, you can watch me live my glamorous and. Um, Heavily edited life on Instagram. Exciting globetrotting life. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can send us uh, uh, quizzes of your own construction. As and long as there's a cash prize. We money. Will, we will at, always do the quiz. That's right. Envelope, <laughs> envelopes full of money at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And uh, if you enjoy the show... Uh, we would appreciate your support on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. We hope the ancient aliens return and prove us wrong about the Dogon. That they, like, they not only do they show up, they show up in central Mali and are like, hey, what's up? And everybody still knows the elaborate fist bump thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the instead of the close encounters hand signals um, there's just an elaborate fist bump we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come or it may hold off until the alien portal opens but if the worst comes soon this very recording like all our recordings may be our final word but if providence allows if the Namo water spirit twins allow we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus <laughs>